interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. Welcome to the Raw Selection Private Equity Podcast, interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking their secrets to success. Joining us today is Rick Braun, who is an experienced chief exec and currently an operating partner at Gen X360. Welcome and thank you very much for joining us, Rick. No, thank you, Alex. I'm really excited. I'm glad to have the opportunity and looking forward to a good chat. Absolutely. Keen to hear about your your journey as you've lived you know, on both sides of the, of the pond from our perspective and yeah. uh, made that bridge from what I regard as corporate blue chip into the world of private equity. So just to give us a bit of a rundown, Rick, for those of listening that don't, uh, don't know you as well as I, uh, just give me a kind of 60 to 90 second breakdown of, your, of yourself, please. Sure thing. Yeah. Uh, as a U.S. citizen, really grew up in Stamford, Connecticut, going through public schools and got an affinity for aviation. So went into um, engineering at MIT, got an aerospace degree and joined Pratt & Whitney, um, an engine company, part of United Technologies Group in Hartford, Connecticut, where they really you know, got me to blossom out of my engineering days and got me into manufacturing and management, paid for my master's degree in engineering. And then it came to a tipping point, Alex, where I got accepted to Harvard Business School to get my MBA, and they actually sponsored me for that, which was a big deal. So I was very loyal to the company, stayed with them for 17 years, moved around the world, six different countries with a wife and four children in tow, and then um, ended up going to a competitor in Rolls-Royce over in your neck of the woods. And that's, I think, how we started to get to know one another, spent six years with Rolls, and then... Um, really spent a short time in Scotland with a pump manufacturer before joining Gen X360 um, nearly five years ago. I can't believe it's gone by that quick um, as an operating partner at Gen X360 based down in Florida. Great. No, appreciate the uh, appreciate the rundown. What what what's um what one mistake do you see private equity firms or portfolio companies uh, making? Yeah, if we get right into it, I could probably talk more to the portfolio companies as I've not really worked uh, very long in private equity and nonetheless any other PE firms. And I'd say the one that sticks out the most is not really understanding the investment thesis uh, that the PE shop puts together as they're doing the due diligence on a portfolio company. So I'll explain a bit more on that. Many times a private equity shop will do a lot of due diligence to most people think to make sure we get the right price. And that's, of course, part of the deal. But when you're looking at it from the management team in a portfolio company, Alex, they, they underestimate how we're actually building a thesis to determine how we're going to create value with that company that we're about to buy. And I've learned that it's important for us to start sharing that with management teams that don't automatically ask. And many of the companies we buy are first time in private equity so they miss that boat a lot that makes uh makes sense so when what so if um if you were being acquired by a PE firm what as a as a chief exec and understanding that what advice would you give them to to start looking into and asking the right questions or or doing their own due diligence um for them to make sure that they're a working with the right firm and f- be fully understanding 
how that firm operates and what their plans are. Yeah. If, 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 if it's a chief exec, Alex, that's kind of been there, done that, and has had experience in other private equity-backed portfolio companies, clearly they know what to do. But for those that are maybe first time going to work for a PE firm as a C-suite leader in a portfolio company, my, my advice would be, number one, ask the investment partner or operating partner about that investment thesis. You know, it's very open book to say, and okay to say, well, what were the things you saw in this company that would allow you to create value? And that's a great way to start the dialogue. Also, understanding the style that the PE firm will work with that portfolio company. Some are very hands-off um, and they'll say, look, we're just going to kind of let you run the show here and we'll have a quarterly board meeting. Others are much more hands-on and they like to see a lot more data. And then you could ask, well, which data do you like to see? How often? And lastly, I would say the other big thing to learn about is, you know, what's the timing? Some family offices will have a five, eight, 10 year hold period. Uh, Many PE shops will say no, or PE firms will say, I really want to have a five to six year period. Others will say, you know, three. So understanding that timing as well to prepare the company for exit and what's necessary to reach the goals to be able to exit the company at the level they, that the firm wants to. All makes sense and great advice. And for those, so the operating partners, uh, I think originated, well, in, in the most part in the States has been built up with more and more PE firms now utilizing uh, that resource within their firm. In the in the UK, Europe, we probably more so refer to it as a kind of portfolio manager, portfolio director. How would you define the kind of term and role of, a, of an operating partner? Sure, sure. Um, you're, you're right. I think it's more popular in the States, Alex, than elsewhere from what I've heard and read. Um, and in the U.S., the operating partner can take very different roles. So let me just give you know two examples. Um, in some cases, the PE firm will have an operating partner be full-time dedicated to a single portfolio company, um, sometimes take a full-time role as a C-suite leader, and really run, get involved in the day-to-day operations and running the business. And other cases, they could be much uh, less involved where they are just touching base with the C-suite leadership team, maybe on a monthly basis, and really just trying to give guidance, strategic direction, and sometimes just be a sounding board there. Sometimes a CEO or C-suite leader just needs somebody they can talk to um, about some of the challenges they're having in the manage, in the in the portfolio company. So we're kind of in the middle. Gen X360 Capital Partners is more in the middle. We are pretty hands-on with understanding how the company is performing, but we don't get involved. And certainly I, I don't get involved and neither do my peers, Alex, in running any part of the companies. And we'll, we'll cover anywhere from four to five portfolio companies at a time. So clearly we don't have that kind of bandwidth to be involved every day uh, with running a single company. Um, and then the incentive structures obviously can be a big difference as well from one private equity company to another in terms of how that operating partner is rewarded and how they spend their time as well. 
Absolutely. And you spoke obviously about that portfolio management side and your active nature. I think a lot of people expect that. How much are you involved actually with the deal process um, when Great we're looking, when I say when we, when Gen X360 are looking at an acquisition, you know, how much involvement do you have in that uh, sure. initial process? It's a great question. And so that's another good point, Alex, that PE firms can differ quite a lot. An example I know of in another PE firm, uh, the operating partners don't get involved until the deal is closed, and then they start to get introduced to the management team. Not my experience at Gen X360, where we get involved right once the deal is identified. So we have some a committee called a New Deal Review Committee. It's a small team of three people that uh, look at incoming opportunities and assess whether we want to put a team on it. Once it passes and we want to proceed on an acquisition, we form a team which, which an investment partner and an operating partner are both on it from day one. So once you get um, the SIM, the confidential information memorandum, and you start to have your first calls with the management team, um, the operating partner at Gen X360 is involved right from the beginning, which really helps quite a lot in my book to make that transition if the acquisition were to close so that the operating partner can really be closer to the management team upon close. Cause that's really where the heavy lifting starts. I'd say I spend less than 10% of my time sourcing for deals. I'll spend probably about 15 to 20% of my time doing due diligence prior to close, maybe 30%. As the deals come closer to actually closing, we get very involved but then the remainder of my time, more than half, is really spent once the deal closes on having a kickoff meeting, putting in the 90-day plan, working closely with the CEO, and helping them transition into a, you know, a private equity-backed company if that's the first time for that company. Okay. And you're talking about the transition there from uh, going in, and I know you guys work a lot with kind of founder-owned, CEO-owned, and making that transition from first-time private equities is... Uh, as the phrase is termed, how did you find the transition from being a, you know, leading a business, but working in, I know uh, the uh, pump valve manufacturer that you worked in, I think is backed by private equity, um, but previously with roles, how did you make that transition um, from being a executive leader through to being an, op uh, an operating partner? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question because my path is very, I believe quite unique. Um, in fact, Alex, that point you made when I was in Scotland working for the pump manufacturer, it was another FTSE 100 public company, quite a large company like Rolls-Royce and United Technologies. So in fact, I never had worked for any private equity backed company before joining Gen X360. So you may ask, well, wow, how did that happen? Why did they bring you in? Um, pretty natural question. One, first of all, they were short on having operating partners. So there was definitely a need in the firm for an, a fourth operating partner at the time. This is five years ago. And then secondly, I think when I expressed my background at United Technologies and to a degree as well in the UK, they realized I had not been really working for a large corporation in the head office. I was always parachuted in remote locations to run the companies they acquired. So let me take just a moment to kind of expand on that, Alex. I have done five roles where either United Technologies or 
Rolls-Royce or the Weir Group would say, Rick, we just acquired a company. It could be anywhere from 30 million to 300 million and bigger. And it would be anywhere in, from China, Singapore, Norway, the UK, Spain. We would well, like you to go run it. And so I was never really involved with the deal process, Alex, up front. But I came in as the, let's say, the president of the company, and they would ask me to integrate it and put in the operating system that we're accustomed to in a public company and really professionalize the company. But yet they had very strong, rich history and a strong secret sauce that made that company attractive. And it's why UTC bought them. So I had to learn quickly how not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you follow me but yet make the changes needed to bring them up to speed because their margins were low. They weren't moving as quick as they could. They weren't capturing as much market share as they could. So that was really interesting doing that almost half a dozen times is very, very relevant to what a CEO does in a PE backed company, right? They're coming in and taking typically a family owned and operated business and trying to bring it to that next level that a PE firm would expect. So I had this natural knack of relating to the CEO's challenges. And I think it allowed me to be, you know, um, as successful as I have been at Gen X to be able to help these portfolio companies grow and adapt to the PE firm's, you know, methods and strategies and being able to make that transition is not always easy. So I think that's why I was able to make the transition fairly, fairly well. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I speak to a lot of people um, and depending on the PE firm depends on their requirement. But I think most people that I would speak to would say that you need a private equity background to get into private equity, which, again, everyone always asks me, well, how do you get experience before you get in? Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's different answers to that. But at the end of the day, it's, you've got to be uh, you've got to be in it. So uh, it's interesting and great to hear that, you know, somebody who's had that kind of similar experience um, and hopefully anybody who's listening is going to believe in themselves now that if you wanted to be a operating partner you want to be a chief exec um, of a private equity firm you don't have to have that level of experience you've just got to have gained the experience required to be in that environment you know fortunately you probably didn't know at the time that you were generating that type of experience but it just kind of waylaid that that, that right. was exactly the type of experience that a p firm needed and therefore when that uh, opportunity came knocking it certainly uh Grabbed it with two hands, and uh, five years later, we're uh, uh, driving uh, multiple businesses with uh, within the Gen X 360 portfolio. There was a lot of learning, though. I do, I do have to add that I really did not know much about private equity five years ago, and so I also had to humble myself quite a lot, almost put myself in the shoes of a student. And I spent really the first six months under the wings of one of our founders. He's a natural coach and mentor and just really helped me understand a lot of the ways that um, like a leverage buyout model works, you know, and how much, you know, what is leverage, how much leverage you can put on a manufacturing company, you know, why is leverage bad in some cases. So I was confident enough, Alex, to be able to ask a lot of the dumb questions, but it helped me learn pretty quickly coming in fresh and not having that PE background. So um, that's the only other advice I would give as you're coming in to really be a student, humble yourself, learn a lot, ask the dumb questions and really gain as much information and learn as much as you can. 
sometimes it helps to talking to people in your contacts, your networks. I, I actually reached out to a former colleague, Alex, that took, ta taught me a lot before and as I was joining Gen X360. And he was very helpful in me making that transition as well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one trying to learn. I mean, I was, I can't remember who I was speaking with, um, with regards to their recommendations. Um, I think it was actually a gentleman by the name of Charlie Rossetti who made the transition actually from the US to the UK. And we were speaking about various different ways of learning about the private equity industry. And there's not a great deal, you know, we've got barbarians at the gate. I think there's the private equity guide um, with regards to books on there. But you know, if you wanted to really learn what really operates and how things work, it is a bit of a secret out there, to be honest. And we had a look into a lot of things, try and find that out. But I think you've, you know, you've got it hit it the nail on the head. You've just got to speak to the people who are open to sharing and good coaches and good mentors and, and getting as much information as you can to understand their world, how it operates, because it is it is very different. A lot of people tell me, no, it's exactly the same as we're running a public listed, you know, privately owned um, business, it, it, there's fundamental differences, um, <laughs> huge yeah. fundamental differences. Businesses in public listed are not quadrupling their revenue in four to five years and then doing it again in another four to five years if it remains within private equity. That's not happening. It's all about shareholder value to a certain extent. And in privately right. owned businesses, it's too sleepy. It's too yeah. slow. There's not enough change. It's it's lifestyle businesses in, in some parts. And I know this discredits some companies. We're not private equity backed ourselves. Um, but there's not that mentality and it's a different world. Yeah. And I, I think that's what motivates me the most, Alex, just listening to you now is like the improvement side and making things better and helping people learn something new is what really makes me tick on this kind of stuff to show them hey, there's a better mousetrap. Here's a, f a better way to grow the business. And everybody wins too, because we're all incentivized on the same way as the company grows. So I, I enjoy that a lot. Obviously, not everybody can make the transition. And personally, I, you know, I had to go through a lot of soul searching on adapting to this new way. Um, and it's still something that I feel like I'm new at. And I don't describe myself as a private equity guy, even though I've been at it now for nearly five years, because I'm more of an operator that spent 25 plus years in aviation running businesses around the world. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. It is exciting. It is dynamic and it's fast. I do like that angle as well. And with you mentioned, obviously, that challenge initially from from that transition into the operating partner role. Is there any other major or, or big challenges that you've faced as as a as an operating partner? I think the other big one is if it, if a person comes in similar to my background, which is an operator, then you're naturally going to be paired up with people who have zero or very little common ground with yourself. So typically the investment team made up of, let's say an investment partner or a managing partner are typically guys that come from consulting or banking and they've never run businesses. So having the ability to really kind of, again, put yourself down and say, well, I have a lot to learn from that investment partner. I've never worked in banking or consulting. So let me see what he or she thinks. It could really be a great, diverse team as long as there's good, you know, respect, a healthy degree of respect for each other. And that's why I really like Gen X360 so much is there is a very healthy balance between the operations team and the investment team. 
and they are comfortable with challenging one another to learn from one another, come in at different angles and perspectives to really get the most out of an acquisition and the deal and creating value. Um, so you have to get used to that. You have to be comfortable with s- surrounding yourself with people who are uh, not, not similar background as your, your own. But I welcome that. I find that refreshing. Okay. And what advice would you give somebody who's looking to make that transition um, to an operating partner role? It's a question I get asked regularly. What advice would you give them to, to, to help them make that transition? Um, good question. I think a couple of things. You know, a lot of people, like you mentioned earlier, say, well, how do I get private equity experience if I've never had it? A lot of standard answers out there are, you know, looking at deals and seeing if you could bring a deal to a, sh- to a firm, but that's not easy. If you're coming in then without a deal, the angle is how do you create value for that PE firm by helping them grow a PE-backed portfolio company? So, Having that kind of um, experience with small businesses helps a lot, at least from my perspective. Being able to relate well to others. um, The biggest challenge I have, Alex said differently, being able to build trust quickly with the management team in a portfolio company, right? And it has to be natural. You can't force it. But the quicker you build that rapport, the quicker you could actually help that team. And they start to trust you and ask you questions, which will then help create value for them. You could work together better to develop the strategic objectives and how they're going to be executed. So that's the best advice I would give is having that adaptability and ability to work well with others, build trust quickly and working for small businesses. Because when you can say, I've really walked a mile in your shoes and I've kind of been there that goes a long way with having that credibility with the CEO of a $50 million company because you've kind of been there. I think it's, it's an interesting one. I think the, a lot of operating partners that I speak to um, that have recently made the move, I think one of their things that they find really difficult is making that transition from running a show to then basically being a coach. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that transition is is massive because they lose, you know, I've, I've spoken with them. I'm frustrated. They won't deliver on the things I'm suggesting. They won't do this. I've done this before and he won't do it. It's a brand yeah. new CEO, no private equity experience, not listening to me. And I think that initially comes back to that point of it's building that rapport and spending that exactly. time in those initial phases rather than just running in and going, I know everything. I'm the operating partner um, and taking over. You know, as you mentioned, you can't run five different, six different businesses as a chief exec. Um, it's very much operating in, uh, in those different levels, supporting, guiding, mentoring, coaching, and wearing the relevant hat that you need to, to wear at that time. And I'm sure there's times you've had to roll your sleeves up and, and dive in uh, when yeah. crisis is hit. But you right. know, in the most part, you're there to uh, there to support, not there to do. Did you find that That's difficult maybe in the early phases of well, you, bring up, you, you got me thinking of two comments before I go there is one is <laughs> if a person is running a business and wants to become an operating partner, to your point, Alex, they also need to be very self-aware. And so one of the th- reasons I think I got the job, too, was I talked on my interview with my boss about emotional intelligence. And we've really had a great direct, you know, heart to heart chat on our first or second interview. And it was about just knowing that I'm comfortable letting go of being the top dog and having you know, people talk to me and 
decisions and stuff like that to more, like you said, more of a business partner that's more of a coach mentor to someone else. So you got to first do a little soul searching if you're going to make that transition to an operating partner. But secondly, here's an interesting story, Alex, you may not know. When I first joined Gen X360, my boss and, and uh, the founder were very, very helpful. And early on, I think I was six months in the firm, they told me, Rick, why don't you fly up to New Jersey and just go out to dinner with the CEO? Don't talk shop and just get to know the guy and come back. And it was really awkward for me, if I'm honest. Initially, I thought, <laughs> okay, so we're going to spend company money. I'm going to fly up to New York, have a lovely dinner, maybe a glass of wine and get to know the guy and just fly back home. Is that really it? Um, but yet that taught me so, so much about that whole point of building trust and credibility. And tr honest to God, that made it so much easier to work with him. The next time I went up, he asked me to bring my wife and I met his wife and it just really blossomed from there. So it's, it is about understanding that the role is quite different, making sure you're aware of yourself and being comfortable with being a partner. I like the fact though, the, the advantage is then you could do that across three, four, five different companies simultaneously and you get exposed to different industries, you get exposed to different people, different markets, different business models. Now we stick to manufacturing. So I get excited, Alex, about, wow, I, I'm learning more about continuous manufacturing in a blow molding business versus, you know, aerospace manufacturing. So it's, there are things you gain while you might give up the CEO job and being the top man on the, you know, totem pole. So it's good pluses and minuses, but I can answer that other question if you just remind me, please, about what it. No, that's been. okay. So it was about that transition. Was the was there a big urge for you to jump in both hands? I want to, I, I want to get back to my CEO hat. Did you struggle? No, no, no. I did not. I, I really, I really humbled myself and said, "Man, I've, I don't know anything about private equity. I got to be a student, learn the basics from these analysts. I talked to everybody in the firm. It's a small firm." And then really learned a lot from the deal partners about, you know, how do they look at acquisitions and why, how does a leverage buyout model work and really understanding their perspective. Um, so I still felt very, uh, very excited because I was learning so much. For me, it's being in a challenging situation where I don't know something. And many people are like that, even CEOs who enjoy the challenge of doing another CEO role. When you dive in, Alex, and you ask them, well, why do you want to do that job? It's because it's difficult. It's new. It's different. It's challenging. And that's the way I felt coming into the private equity world, not having any background in PE. So looking at when you're working and now you'll have worked with multiple chief execs, CFOs, you know, no doubt they're learning from you. You're learning from them. Everyone gets mm. uh, that benefit of experience and develops that. What are the three attributes that you believe make a, make a top performing executive? First of all, yeah, not having the ego. <laughs> there, there have been many um, great CEOs, but unfortunately had too big of a chip on their shoulder. And it led them to not work well with the entire deal team in the private equity firm. So that's the investment partner and the operating partner and the analyst. And that that's a shame because they have a lot to offer if they could just sometimes lower the ego a bit. The second one is I've seen 
that adaptability, that ability to really go from founder owned and operated company to a different world. It could be private equity, it could be public, but having adaptability to be able to say, wow, I'm going to have to change a lot, learn a lot, being open to that ability to change and being used to it. So unfortunately, some of the people who were not able to make that transition, Alex, were those that maybe only grew up for 25 years in a single company. That's unfortunate because they don't, they haven't had to change before or, or adapt. And so when it happens, they're not used to it and, and they haven't been able to make that transition. I think the third one, just the, the attribute of building a team. I think those C-suite leaders that have been successful the most have been the ones to build a team around them time and time again, because they may not be the expert in that industry. They may not be um, an inch wide, a mile deep in a technical area, but that's not as important as being able to be aware of, hey, I have a gap in the organization here. I need some talent. I know how to get that talent and really make them part of this team and build building the A team, the successful winning team is really what it's all about. And those C-suite leaders that do that, even CFOs that do it, COOs, or chief commercial officers, they can build their commercial team to be the A team, win, win this, generally win in this game very well. Yeah, and I think you know that that building of the all, all very valid points, but the building of the team is 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 the tough one. I think from uh, mm. from a lot of guys that I speak to, you know, getting the right people on, um, uh, getting the right boots on the ground. I think as a one thing I see, and it'd be interesting if you see this as well, as a lot of the chief execs that uh, first time PE, um, they've made an acquisition. Uh, sorry, the PE firms, Gen X 360s made an acquisition, for example. You're keeping that chief exec, and maybe they were the founder or they bought the business or whatever else. I think one of the, the hard transitions a lot of those chief execs find is the finance side of things. Um, I think that in a lot of small businesses that haven't had that private equity world, the finance has always been a little bit of a probably not the most focused on area other than cash in the bank, but bringing in a fully fledged chief financial officer and handing over, not handing over because you don't relinquish responsibility, but bringing in the true expert. I find a lot of chief execs find that difficult um, on why they need a fully fledged CFO. if They've not had one before. And how that's right. That's exactly right. Responsibility. You're not having a business. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and, Funny you mention it because those that are aware of it and they say, I know I need a CFO, Rick, I haven't had that experience. They'll typically ask me, okay, help me find the right CFO. You know me, we've got enough rapport and trust, bring some candidates. So I'll help bring CFO candidates that I think will work well with that chief exec, Alex, and then generally let them pick the one that they're going to work best with. But then the next step is how they partner and truly like you started to talk about, not relinquish, but partner with that CFO, because they do have to empower them. They do relinquish some responsibility and accountability. That's why they're paying this CFO to do the job. But it's that partnership of how they could really work together better to decide, do we go in this direction? Do we put resources here? And when you have a true partner, you could bounce those important decisions by that's really, really helpful. It makes my job a lot easier too, because as an operating partner, now you've got two chief or C-suite leaders that are going to work well together. They start to take on those um, areas that 
sometimes I would be involved with. So it's really good when you have the team that works well together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I see that as a big challenge as a firm. I won't mention who, but there's a firm I'm working with at the moment that's got that particular <laughs> issue. Brand new business, just acquired. Why do, Chief exec, why do I need a CFO? And uh, they're trying to manage that at the moment. But uh, I see it as a key uh, key issue. Won't be the first. and uh, Sorry, it isn't the first. And it certainly won't be uh, uh, won't be the last. What's um, curious, what do you love about private equity? And subsequently, what do you... If hate's too much of a strong word, what do you dislike? I love the diversity of the of the business models that I learn about and the people that I come across. So meeting these founders, um, and sometimes they're not founders. They could be a chief exec, Alex, that actually came from another PE shop because many times a Gen X360 and many other PE firms will buy a portfolio company from another PE firm. So they've had a bite at the apple previously. And so learning from them is great. But the business models I really enjoy learning about in, in different industries, um, because I've been so focused uh, in aviation, that's what kind of uh, I enjoy the most. And as I mentioned earlier, helping that person just makes me feel better that I'm actually assisting that leader in ways they needed help and making that business stronger, better, because um, one of the reasons that I enjoyed being a chief exec in the past was that making businesses better, I knew was best for my team and the people on um, boots on the ground. Well, I'm less involved now, but I still feel by influencing the chief exec and the C-suite team and making that company move in the right direction will help everybody in that company and maybe have a bonus at the end of the year and a little more money in the pocket. That, that really floats my boat, and I get excited about that. What do I not like as much? Sometimes private equity has a bad taste in the mouth for a lot of people. You know, I, I learned early on that I, that I didn't know some people really despise private equity because of uh, kind of the pretty woman uh, Richard Gere kind of picture comes into their head where we're going to buy this company and chop it up and sell it for pieces and just walk away with a boatload of money. And we don't care about the people or the business. And um, I bump into that sometimes, which um, I'm still not used to, if I'm honest. Uh, and it kind of makes me come down a little bit because I'm like, no, that's, that's not really what it's like these days, especially with the ability to bring technology into companies and enable them to be better, stronger, faster. So that's, that's a little bit of a downer from my side that I have to sometimes uh, pause, self-reflect, help, help maybe share more information with that person, but also appreciate their view because maybe they did come from a perspective that they got cut from a private equity firm that bought them. And um, that does happen at, at times. So that's a little bit of the, I guess, negative thing I, don't like as much about PE. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I hear that, especially when we're trying to, if we're doing a particular search and it's, you know, one of the rare times where they actually want somebody outside of private equity, which I will admit is not often, but we will speak to people and, and even, you know, people that I come across just generally asking what I do and uh, private equity uh, recruitment. And they're like, okay, yeah, isn't that awful? Don't they just you know, buy a business, strip it out for parts, asset, sell it, and then, you know, everyone loses their jobs. And of course, within any industry, there's good and there's bad. 
but right. in rarely well i've not ever come across a business where it's okay we're buying it for an asset strip um and uh, we're just going to sell off all its components i mean arguably i do deal in the lower middle market so there's not a lot of uh, options for that anyway but i agree there's a there's a bit of animosity towards that and i think the there's, there's some of that is justified um certainly mm. with history you know kkr got a lot of bad rap because of toys r us uh, and how that kind of was handled. Um, I don't Good know point. the ins and outs of it, but you know they they made some fundamental bad decisions. One of bit, which being the internet was an, uh, was a bit of a fad. But uh, you know, I think in the in the very most part, you know, private equity firms are there to build. They're there to to grow businesses. They incredibly enhance the uh, local economies. Uh, hiring. They're always bringing new people. You don't quadruple the revenue of a business by literally just um, keeping headcount and stripping it back. Uh, you can't, <laughs> although I'm sure everyone would like that. Um, but you just possibly can't. You need to bring in people. You upskill people, develop people, and people progress of their career so i do i do agree it offers a, a huge amount but also there is that element where uh, maybe it's not been as positive uh, previously hmm. so how about your your influences what do you read what do you watch what do you listen where do you get your you know you've obviously mentioned education from others in in uh, the founder of uh, gen x 360 but you know what what is it that uh, uh, that keeps you current and keeps you up to date yeah how to keep the sharp saw as i like to say um I've been reading a lot more on just developing better habits to kind of continue to keep myself pressing forward, learning more, developing myself to maybe move up in the, in the firm. So whether it's uh, a Brendan Bouchard on successful habits or podcasts, um, I tend to do, listen to them while I'm going for a run. Keeping myself fit has been important given all the stress that we're all feeling with COVID, not being able to get out much. Um, that's really helped me keep things in check, Alex. And, uh, and lastly, just maintaining those relationships. Um, I've, I've certainly grown over the years to value those relationships, much more so than when I was younger. Um, so I spend a lot of time just really keeping in touch with people that I haven't done in the past as well. And, and it's funny, sometimes, Alex, those relationships actually help me in ways that I never would have thought of in, in my current day-to-day -day challenges or on the job or so it's really helpful, though. I think with COVID, hopefully that'll pass sooner than later. Uh, people can, you know, not feel as stressed out or worried. But um, keeping that balance, I, I think a lot about mental and physical and emotional health a lot. And um, keeping that balance is really important. So I, I spend a lot of time on that. Yeah, the old phrase, it's not what you know, it's uh, it's who you know. Definitely yeah. be apparent. And I can imagine in, in your role when you need a bit, a bit of guidance, you can't be the uh, knowing absolutely everything, nor, uh, you know, you can open some doors and those old connections will always uh, uh, always be warm and forthcoming if you, uh, you know, you give back to them and you keep in touch over the over the years. Exactly. And it's it's funny, too. My boss and I were talking the other day when a lot of people are stuck at home they do find themselves maybe with a little bit more time if they're fortunate than keeping yourself on a hobby or a, a sport of some type you can do at home helps a lot because it just tries to re-engage your brain and your body in a different way. And keeping that balance, I think, is this the, the key to success in whatever you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And have you ever been, whether it's now or previously in your career, um, ever been kind of blindsided? Uh, and what did you what did you learn from it? Oh, absolutely. I think 
that are not blindsided or haven't failed uh, are either lying or just haven't really <laughs> been there. Yeah, one comes to mind actually quite vividly uh, a few years ago uh, when we bought a company and I did not, um, I underestimated Alex that the CEO was quite threatened by me and I didn't understand okay. why or how. So having a little bit more of that social awareness was something I really picked up on then um, because um, I thought we were being able to discuss some um, strategic changes in the company with him, but he quite subtly took offense and I found myself in a position of uh, apologizing to him and saying, look, I didn't know um, I offended you. I'm sorry. I was just trying to help think about the business with you. And it kind of recalibrated my thinking on being a little bit more socially aware of how others are perceiving me. Because, yeah, operating partners do come in and take over the CEO's job in many cases or some cases. So uh, I have to be a little bit more aware of that. And it was certainly a good uh, learning point for me going forward as I continue to develop in, in my role. So it was, a, it was a good experience, but certainly one uh, I built upon. I, I suppose it's like anything that anybody could have a scenario like that, especially as you get more uh, into uh, your role and, you, and your opportunity and are probably more aware of that at the start. Um, but then you kind of like, right, another deal. Let's get in. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you kind of forget about the that person. This is all brand new. Um, you've done it five, six times. And yeah. uh, oh, OK, well. Uh, I've not done this before and I don't know what you're coming in here for. Um, am I going to get replaced? Am I going to lose my job? Um, you know, are you actually trying to help me? Are you trying to understand what's going on in the business? This is all different. And uh, yeah, you know, when you've done it four or five times, you've kind of become accustomed. Um, whereas everything is brand new for that, potentially for that chief executive. Got yeah. no prior experience and even if they have you never know what their previous experience was operating partner came in tried to run the business um previously or whatever else so i think it's uh i think it's tony robbins that always talks a lot about that building rapport stage as the first step absolutely learning their story and you really can't rush it yeah that's right you can't you can't rush or push that building rapport stage absolutely and that's probably what i was doing is i just thought okay we're good. Let's move on. <laughs> not not on yet. To the next one. <laughs> not got there yet. What advice um, would you give to your 20-year-old self, Rick? Great question. One I haven't heard of. Not be as selfish. I was quite selfish and self-centered, quite focused on my career. And clearly, you know, you got the pluses and minuses with everything. Because back then, I think I would have learned even more from others if I had just opened myself up more to spending time with um, the right relationships. That's the hard part. You, you know, you always have people around you, Alex, that some are just fun to be around. Some could be pulling you away from what you really should be doing. Others can really help you and build you. So finding the, the right people and spending more time with them is really what I would have told my 20-year-old self and it would have helped me even more than where I am today. It's certainly something I have learned now and spend more time doing today. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. I was, I was a very focused young man on my career at Pratt & Whitney and um, wanted to really become 
I genuinely, I wanted to be the president of Pratt and Whitney, which is a big, <laughs> a tall order. I never big, came even close to it. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, I had that kind of ambition. Um, and yeah, it helped me to some degree, but I think a, a little bit more balance on, on that would have gone uh, a long way. Great. And I think that would definitely be something for my, uh, for myself as well. Um, being able to listen to others more, understand where they're coming from, you know, again, again building rapport, understanding their story. And, uh, you know, when you're, uh, when you're young, you just want, you focus on your goal and, uh, nothing else will, uh, nothing stands in the way and everything else is just noise. And sometimes you miss, um, some of the vital, uh, certainly vital parts. Uh, so Rick, if somebody wanted to, to reach out to you, um, on past this, uh, podcast they've been listening in today and uh they've got a question or uh you know maybe there's a, a business that they're selling or something with regards to gen x360 um how would they best get in touch with you absolutely yeah um well our our website has our v card on it so the gen x360.com website um otherwise my linkedin profile has also got my email on there to reach out to me or send me an, a message um but i would be more than happy to help anyone looking into the, the industry or maybe they're already in private equity and struggling. So, or in a portfolio company um, and struggling. Uh, I always enjoy helping others, Alex. So welcome the opportunity to, to contact them. Perfect. And we'll put the, uh, the links uh, both in the, in the show notes for anybody that wants to uh, find that rather than uh, although you can, if you, if you're watching, you can see how to spell Gen X 360. Um, but if you're not uh, like I did when I first started, you will end up getting it wrong. Um, so we will put that in uh, uh, in the show notes. Um, and I think it's dot biz as well. I don't think it's. Uh, um, um, yeah. Dot com or dot biz. And yeah. it's, it, it is a funny name. I could explain for two seconds that we want it to be next generation private equity. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that was that was already taken. taken. So uh, we flipped it around and said, "Okay, Generation Next," but and abbreviated it. Uh, coming from uh, the three founders that were GE, uh, one founder from investment bankers. So the four rings you see on the um, icon on the yep. corner of our company name is is really those four founders. It's uh, uh, been a great great company and unique background. Uh, having three people coming from GE who used to work for Jack Welch is quite special as well so yeah i know the uh, the pains of naming a business i was uh, set on <laughs> raw selection uh, sorry set on raw talent until i googled it and then realized uh, there's uh, um alan sugar who's um uh, obviously donald trump did the apprentice that well you'll know that actually to be fair with spending yeah. time over here so yeah he um he invested in a business and they called it raw talent academy so that was out the window um and then eventually settled on raw selection uh from there so i know the uh, the pain of trying to find a business setting yourself up, oh, i finally got it let's just move on and let's, get, let's get going and then, oh it's taken um and you've got to come up with all these ideas and then you've got to go for it again but uh, uh that's great so well look thank you very much for joining us rick i really really appreciate your insight uh, it's been great you're most welcome thank you for having me alex we'll talk soon absolutely my pleasure so as always thank you very much to uh, to our listeners for joining us and of course should you ever need support with private equity professionals or portfolio executive hiring please do reach out to me at raw selection but till the next time keep smashing it and we'll speak to you all again soon thank you for listening to the private equity podcast on www.raw-selection.com.